Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. All right. Today's guest is the co-founder of Status Page, a Y Combinator-backed startup that lets you create a hosted status page for your app or website. And you can use that page to display downtime notifications, performance metrics, or any other information that your customers might need to know. Status Page launched in 2013 and has raised about $250,000 to date. Its customers include companies such as Kissmetrics, Vimeo and Kickstarter. So today I'd like to welcome Scott Klein. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now you're you're in Denver now, right now, yeah? That's correct. I live here. And so how, how's the team set up? Like uh where are people and and um because I noticed on your LinkedIn page it said that the business was based in San Francisco. Yeah, I think we uh just for you know sales and LinkedIn purposes, uh we we sort of say that the business is headquartered in, in San Francisco. Uh right now we've got eight people, we're split four and four. Uh but the majority of the development team is gonna be built out here in Denver. Um and I choose to live here in Denver. Um sort of this big question maybe a couple months ago of like, do we want to move to San Francisco? We were sort of on the precipice of deciding where to build out the dev team. Uh and we had um uh you know, taking this, this lax approach of, oh, we're just going to build this remote company and we'll hire from anywhere. And, and, uh, you know, we had some sort of, uh, come to Jesus moment at some point that just was like, we hate remote teams and we're just the type of people that want to, um, be in the same office with each other. If it, if it works out for you that you can build a remote team, great. That just wasn't us. And so we sort of stopped, uh, stopped kidding ourselves and decided that San Francisco and Denver were going to be the only offices. So, um, so I'm here now. Uh, choose to be here. No plans to move. Uh, it's a great city. I've, I've really been enjoying it. Cool. Uh, now I like to start up by asking my guests for um, a favorite quote, and it's not really about the quote. It's about really figuring out what drives and and motivates them, what gets them out of bed. So, uh, are you are you a quotes guy? Is there a favorite quote, or or you know, just if not, what what drives you? Yeah, I'm. Uh, so I'm. I'm. I'm I guess markedly not a not a quotes person. I don't know. I don't know why. I've just never had to be uh, the emotional response to things. You don't have one of those uh, success posters up no, on the wall. No, actually, it's so funny. I, you know, I, 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 I. So in reading the interview prep, I was just like, I hate quotes. Just sort of had this bad reaction to it. But um, um, I forget who I, I was listening to. A, um, an interview. Um, so I guess quotes, no, but like little excerpts from an interview. I think that there, there aren't meant to be. Uh, grandiose do do catch my attention. Uh, the, it was a podcast with Sam Harris, and he sort of had this passing comment about you know um, you know wisdom is just being able to listen to your own advice, and and it was so funny because it was so benign, and he just sort of said it in passing, but it really tackled uh, me for some reason. Um, and I, I think that uh, you know I just we'll get into this a little bit later, but I think as a as a founder, it's it's very tough to um, be grappling sort of with your own personal psychology and, and as a person and as a founder and, and being a leader and sort of being on this pedestal in a sense. And so um, uh, for some reason, it, that was, yeah, maybe a recent quote that that, that was exciting to me, but uh, that may be the only one. <laughs> I, I like that because honestly, that's something that I have been struggling with myself. Yeah. Um, and you get to, I think you get to a point where there's so much information out there there are so many opinions and you can kind of get sucked into um 
spending too much time listening to all those voices and not listening to the voice inside your own head. Yeah. That's, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and I think too, for me, I, I, I sort of a couple, you know, when you start a company, especially going through uh, an accelerator like Y Combinator where you're, um, you're just so off kilter. Like it's, it, it, it Silicon Valley, in a sense, it enables you to have a completely unhealthy lifestyle if you want to, where you're just living and breathing your company and there's not a time that you pause to go play outside or exercise or, or, or hang out with friends and talk about something other than work. Um, and so, but, but I realized that the, the people that I really respected, especially the ones that would come in to talk to us at Y Combinator, I mean, like we, we got to sit down with Mark Zuckerberg for 20 minutes after he talked and, and just ask him about his life. It was very clear to me that he wasn't a quotes person either, or it didn't seem like that. It seemed like his struggle when he woke up every day was not to find a quote to get inspired by. It was to uh, be introspective and just listen to himself around um, how am I feeling, being present and, and being mindful of his own emotional state. So uh, it, it was that was encouraging in the sense that it was it was a sort of reaffirming to me of of knowing yourself and, and finding inspiration on your own is 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 where you're you're going to succeed, I guess, in life. Yeah. Let's talk about where you uh, where the idea for status page came up from, because you know, look looking if I think about this not as a business and what I know about your business and the size of the business, you'd kind of think of it as. If I had that idea to build a status page for somebody, I'd be like, is there really a business there? Yeah. Yeah. So how did that idea come up? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because uh, we, we actually had the same thoughts. Uh, and, and so the idea was, was bred out of a couple of things. Um, you know, we were, my brother and I, co-founder, uh, were, were working at a company and, and, and um, I, was, I was a product manager there. And I would have uh, many times ideas sort of, you know, on the weekend, like, oh, it would be so great if we could do you know, XYZ feature. And I've found this, this vendor that can, that can help enable that, you know, like delivering text messages is a, is a good example. Right. And so I'd come to them and say, Hey, there's this awesome company Twilio that we can use to uh, deliver text messages and we can build this feature into the product. And, and, and I would immediately get met with a lot of pushback around, um, Oh, you know, what's their funding style? Like, like, are they going to be around? You know, we don't know anything about this company. Uh, you know, do they actually deliver on what they're saying? And, and it was very clear to me that there was this gap of information between like a company, what they do and, and their sort of operational excellence and how well they actually do what they say they're going to do. Um, after, Steve and I had left the company that we were at. We started doing some contract work or consulting, uh, and we were sort of met with the same, the same pushback. And I mean, these people are paying us, you know, like a hundred dollars an hour to build a website for them. And we had to have conversations with them. Like we shouldn't be hosting your own email server. There's many people that can do this for you and do it a lot better than we can. And so it, it just became very clear to us that there was this gap in information of, you know, how well do you run your site when you do have issues? How well do you communicate around them? And, uh, and, and, and so there was this, there was this room for us to build a tool that was just something that gave some transparent window into the operations, uh, of a company. Um, on a, on a sort of tangential note, like we deal with this around security where it's like, it's not necessarily like, you know, uh, it's not necessarily around how well you do security. It's, it's how well you present yourself as doing well in security. Right. And so, uh, you know, if, if I can draw the analogy, it's, it's not necessarily, are you running your site perfectly with perfect uptime? 
uh, and, and perfect operations. It's more so, are you dedicated to the cause? Do you care about your customers? And are you not hiding from anything that goes wrong? Um, so as a developer and, you know, we're, we both come from a development background and seeing what, you know, companies like GitHub and Heroku had done in the early days around status pages. I think we were just the first company to say, Hey, we care about this. We want the internet to break a little bit less. And, and step one or step zero even is just let's get people talking to each other a little bit better uh, around issues that they're having and around good times that they're having too. And, and it's not just about, you know, I guess reducing some of these issues, it's it's about being better communicating to your customers. Yeah. yeah. I so. mean, when I was at Microsoft, I, I saw this a lot as well, where we were working on products that um, there was a, there was a lot of emphasis put into, um, you know, minimizing downtime performance, a whole bunch of sort of those, you know, page load metrics and so on. Um, but not a lot of time put into some kind of status page where you let people know what's going on. Right. Um, and whenever the idea came up, it sounded like, yeah, that's a great idea. We should go and do that. And the next day, everybody would get back to doing everything else that needed to get done and the backlog and all the other things. that And, and for some reason, this was a feature that everybody acknowledged was important, but it always had this sort of habit of moving further down the priorities list. And it sounds like that's sort of how you tapped into this. And, and the thing I wondered about was if, if that was the case with companies where they felt it was important, but they just weren't kind of putting the resources toward it, would they be willing to pay for it? Right. And so, yeah. and, and, and I think the answer is yes, right. Based on what you guys have done, but yeah. um, how, how, how did you sort of approach that? Figuring that yeah. out. You know, to be honest, we, we weren't sure. And I, and I think this is, this is the, this is the ethos of starting a company. You have this figment of an idea, something that you just believe the world would be a little bit better, a, a little bit better at if, if, if it existed in the world. And you, you find within yourself the ability to go forward and build that thing. Uh, and so you just do it. I think at the, at the beginning stages, we, we had no idea, maybe much like this podcast, whether it was going to be successful or not. But you just, you have this glimmer of hope that, you know, even in the worst case, if this thing exists, okay, you know, this, you know, like the world may be measurably better and my life as a developer could be measurably better with this thing existing, um, in the world. Um, I think what's, what's contributed to our success and, and much of where we are very lucky. Uh, to have done this business is that we didn't realize the degree by which uh, people were interested in this and that we're willing to pay for it. And also it turned out to be a little bit harder of a problem than we thought. And I think for a lot of the reasons that at Microsoft, you guys maybe didn't get started on it is because it takes a while to get humans communicating well enough with each other. And you have to make, you, we, we took some opinions sort of up front about how well the tool, how the tool should work and, and what checks and balances we should have in place with the tool, features that it should have versus features that it just absolutely should not have and will never have. Um, and it, and it turns out to be a harder problem. Um, and, and even more funny than that, we, you know, when we first started out, we would get people that would email us in, 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 in a seemingly angry tone that we would get confused by. And, and the emails would say something like, I can't believe you guys are asking money for this. Like I should just go build this in a weekend and, and, and I'm not, I'm never going to pay you for this. Or they would say, wow. you know, you guys are thinking about this all wrong. 
Um, why can't I just like send you an email with my status information and that go up on the page? And, and when you're very young, those, those things grip you because you don't know quite yet how the, how the, how the, how the company is going to work out. Um, and for better or for worse, we sort of just stuck our heads back in the sand and thought, you know, on principle, we're coming from a good place. We're developers. We're building the tool that we would want to exist. Um, and a lot of those people are, are customers now. Like after you eventually, <laughs> after you eventually like enough people jump on your bandwagon and say, yeah, these guys are doing it at least right enough for me to pay them. You realize that they have very vocal opinions, but not very strong ones. Um, and so that was a, that was a tough lesson early on that I think we got really lucky with. And we just sort of stayed the course and, and, you know, um, things worked out for us. Yeah. I, I think I've, se- I've heard that from, uh, a few people, um, about hearing, and, and it kind of goes back to what the, the quote that you, you mentioned earlier that there's, there's always this danger in those early days that you could just say, well, maybe we should go and just move on to another idea, right? This, this thing doesn't sound like it's going to happen or, or, um, maybe what we think is a great idea doesn't seem to resonate in the market. Sure. Um, and so it's kind of having that, that belief to, to keep going. So what, what advice would you give to somebody maybe who's listening, who's in a similar situation, has a product, thinks that they're solving a problem, um, but they're a very early stage um, and maybe they're getting mixed feedback at the moment? Yeah, I think that what we did early on, and, and I, I would, <laughs> if I start a company again, I, I'll tell you the one person I'm going to have with me uh, is, is a salesperson. And what that translates to is just a like a vicious appetite to just be close to your customers at all stages. And so, you know, even when your, your product is nascent and it, and it only may be solving one specific thing, spending as much time as you can with your customers and trying to figure out, does this help you at all? Like at all, like, are we, are we getting at the root of something that is, is, is hopefully going to eventually make your job a little bit better or your life a little bit easier? Um, we had that person. It was our third co-founder, uh, Danny. And Danny's days were spent on the phone most days, most every day, or he was in email, just nudging people, following up. And I think in the early days too, it's very hard because you you come you come to these companies at a deficit, and they know it. You know, hi, my name's Danny. I have this new product. I would like you to try it out. Can we grab fifteen minutes on the phone? That's a very tough pitch to get across, right? Um, but I think that in general, people had. Uh, we, we, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you can get no one to spend time with you, you're probably not solving something that needs to get solved. Um, or you haven't, you haven't built out enough of your product. Um, but you know, I, I think as an entrepreneur, like your job and, and sort of the advice that I would give is, you know, you have to get, you have to get, you have to be world-class at, at listening to your customer, not necessarily the words that they're telling you, but the emotions that they're exuding and, and sort of their, 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 their mental state and the way that they're describing how your product may or may not fit into their thing. Right. Because, you know, there's, there's, you know, you come into these conversations and you have an idea of what your product eventually will be. And that's sort of what you're pitching to them. And they have a, a jaded, um, incomplete view of what your product is right now. And so you're immediately at a deficit, right? When you come into those conversations. And so making sure that you spend a good amount of time handholding people, following up with them, 
Um, I, 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 I'm a firm believer that, that, that a sales co-founder is, is somebody that's going, can, can make or break a business because, um, you know, the, the, the typical developer duo of a front end and a back end person will build products and they will just sort of exist and then disappear into the ether because nobody took the time to convey the value prop. Um, and so, you know, even if it's just, if it's, if you're a single founder or it's just two of you having somebody that's going to spend at least half the day working on getting people to give you feedback as alongside building features um, is, is absolutely critical. If you look at the lean startup, this is why they sort of advocate doing sales and product dev at the same time, because you just have to continue to do both. They're not siloed activities. Um, and so I think it was just, I, you know, I attribute, I attribute the vast majority of our early success to, to having somebody like Danny around who was able to spend a, a lot of time with customers and just make sure that the product that we were building was the right thing. Uh, and then when you couple that with, yeah, it's something that they actually do want. It makes it easier to sort of get started and for, for you to ask money for your product. So talking of Danny, he wrote this uh, blog post um, a while back on kind of like just describing how you guys got to your MVP and it was called five steps to uh, $5,000 in monthly recurring revenue. Yep. Um, and then he wrote a follow-up called growing from 5,000 to 25,000 in monthly recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, w- let, let's kind of talk a little bit about that. Cause he described these steps where he said, you know, find a problem worth solving. And I think we've talked a little bit about that. Was, was there anything else that you did in those early days to try and validate that this was a meaningful problem that you guys should be investing your time in? Um, I'm trying to, you know, it's, no, this is a tough question. Uh, we didn't do anything special. I, there wasn't any, um, you know, we, we never did any sort of growth hacking thing. There wasn't any big trick that we pulled as a publicity stunt. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of a, I'm sort of a traditionalist as, as it comes. And, and, and it, in, in, in terms of our business, we're, we're a B2B SaaS business, right? I mean, people, people are spending not their money and they're spending other people's money. Uh, and they're trying to reduce sort of, the pain of their job or the time that they spend doing some things. Um, so I think that there, there no, there, there was nothing special that we did. Um, I think it was a pretty basic, like, let's, let's just build the product and ask people for money. And then we'll sort of figure out based on their answer where we need to go next. <laughs> um, did that answer the question? I, I, I think I lost track of sort of exactly what you were asking. Yeah. I, I was just wondering whether you did things like, um, you know, customer development type interviews or yeah we, we we may have um i think that you know obviously as we're building features we're in we're in contact with customers um so two things you know one of the one of the cool things about early customers and, and i'll contrast this in a minute with where we're at now one of the cool things about early customers is like they want your thing so bad that they'll say hey this is a great product it would be awesome if it had X, Y, and Z, but like, I don't have anything like this right now. So I'm, I'll pay you for it because it's better than having nothing. Right. <laughs> and so they would, they would give us money and we would get to work building features that most people were asking for. Now, <laughs> contrast it now, we have people that say, Hey, I love your product. We cannot buy it until it has X, Y, or Z. So the problem set changes a little bit. Um, as, as you sort of grow up as a company and Danny may have alluded to some of this in, in some of the blog posts. But um, um, the second thing is that, you know, the best customer development story is yourself. Like we came from a development background. We had struggled in product management roles and in, con- in, in, in a sort of 
contracting consulting roles um, in the sense that we just, we wanted this product to exist. We knew it would have helped us out. And so I think that the best customer development you could ever do is with yourself. It's something that you've had some pain around uh, because it makes it easy to get up in the morning and work on something because you, you know, you know that if this thing exists and eventually if, if I would have been fired as CEO, uh, you know, six months into the company that my next job would have been a little bit better because status page was in existence. Right. So, um, I'm definitely a firm believer in, in, in sort of yourself as the customer development thing. I think one of the, the toughest. So Steve, Steve and I's first co- uh, product that we built was in the music industry. And I have no problem telling people now we had no business being in the music industry, not necessarily because we were, we weren't technically competent enough to build a product that could have helped them, but it was just very tough going to like conferences and things that, um, we needed to do to get customers to ask them for money when one, they don't have a ton of money. And two, we're not really musicians. Like we didn't go to shows. It wasn't really our thing to be like in this indie music scene. And it yeah. just felt we, we had a, a great amount of, uh, I, I did at least like this imposter syndrome of you sort of, you're, you're sort of throwing technology at a problem that you've never really experienced before. It just gets weird, right? It gets, it gets weird and it gets tough and you don't have that same conviction of, you know, if, 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 if I were to get fired tomorrow, will I be happier if this thing is still around? Right. I used sort of didn't really care. Um, so it, it, it's been easier with this company because we were customer development story number one in on multiple occasions. So. Yeah, I've I've seen that a lot. Oh, you know, I, I guess over and over again. Where I think the first big takeaway for me has been really focus on solving a problem, not finding a solution. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Subtle, I, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and someone sort of once described it as the difference between a, a, a vitamin and a painkiller. And right. and I think a lot of the times we look for these vitamins that we think are going to be cool ideas, but really people are much more interested in the painkillers. And if yeah. you can figure what that out is, then you've got a much better chance. And then the other thing is, um, if it's actually a pain that you're having yourself, um, one, there's almost some instant validation there anyway, because this is not some kind of random idea that you had on how you can use technology to, to do something. Um, but you also start to get some deeper insights into that problem that you wouldn't, if you weren't that target customer yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. And and I think that most importantly, and, and the toughest thing for, you know, going back to the music industry thing, I could only pretend as like a, primate with a neocortex to like empathize with these musicians. But I didn't, I didn't have that, that visceral response to the product. Right. Like I was more concerned with like database tables and how we were doing code (laughs) deployments than I was like, what is this doing for them? We're asking them to give us money. What is this doing for them? Like we just didn't know enough about their life. And more importantly, we had never been in their position and struggled with the problem set enough to say, this is a solution worth building. Right. But with status page we have. And so like there's, there's the neural pathways in our brain are much more lit up around this being a problem that people have. And also the solution that we're building and how well it's solving the problem. Um, So, you know, it's, it's not, it's not impossible if you're not like, if you've never been in sort of the market that you're building a solution for, it just makes things a lot more difficult. Um, 
And so I think that, you know, when I think about status page and sort of my, my life and the problems that I'm going to work on into the future, like them being problems of that I've experienced or solutions that I wish existed because I, that would make my life better, I think is, is, is going to be like requirement number zero. Like nothing's going to get off the ground unless I can say that I, I feel confidently that this is, this thing should exist. How, how long did it take you to get your first customer? Um, so we, uh, we did this funny thing where we started doing contract work two weeks on and two weeks off, I think, uh, where we, we had a, we had a great client, uh, that we would build, we were building website stuff for. So we started working part-time on the product. I want to say in October of, uh, 2012 and by February of 2013 was our first customer. Um, so it was like, you know, I would say four, four months part-time before we had something that we felt comfortable with that we could show the world it existed and, and, and ask for money for. Okay. Um, and then, so after that first customer, what did you guys start to do to, to market the product and get the word out there? What were some of the tactics that you were using to, to find that second and third customer? Yeah. Um, well, we, I, we're, we're part of this community. I mean, uh, all the customers that, that were the first sort of credit cards in the door, I, I knew on a personal level because we were using their products. We would go to conferences. I would see them. I knew them by first name. I had told them long ago what we were working on. So it wasn't like we just unveiled this curtain and all of a sudden the product popped out like we were seeking feedback along the way. Um, and so it wasn't like we were going blind into, into who we were going to sell to. Like the first 20 people in the door, we knew on a personal level, you know, and so it was, it was, it was rather easy for us to, um, to, to do so. Uh, and I think that, um, I, I, I remember in the early days, like seeing tweets from people that we never knew that had just stumbled across our site that said stuff like, I can't believe I haven't found this yet. Like who, like why did nobody tell me this thing existed? You know? And so I think in that sense, we, we did get a good bit lucky uh, in, in that we just had people so excited about our product. Uh, we're also a very chatty group, right? So the, the sort of like the smaller company DevOps community is, is, is small. And so word, I guess, traveled rather quickly in, in, in that sense. And so um, it was easy for us to, to get some inbound customers, uh, Pretty quickly, but it, it did take a while. I mean, I, I mean, you know, so we, we, our first revenue was middle of February in 2013. And when we had entered Y Combinator in June, I think it was, we only had like 20 paying customers at 50 bucks a month. But in those days, like if you got two customers in a week, that was like, holy cow, like, like we're doing, we're killing it. We're crushing it. You know, <laughs> like, like it's, it's, you know, it's a small win. And, and when we look back on it, it, it was very small dollars, but it was, it was a good moral victory of just like somebody, somebody had to like go to their manager and say, I need the credit card for this thing we're going to buy and implement. Right. They, they, that's, that's, that's way more of a win than the $50 you're getting because it's somebody voting to say, I believe in what you're doing and I, and I want you to continue. And I, and we're fine showing our customers what you have built for us. All right, that wraps up part one of the interview with Scott Klein of Status Page. In part two of this interview, in episode 87, we talk about the experience the team had going through Y Combinator, uh, some of the pressure that the co-founders felt uh, during that time, and also some of the unnecessary stress that Scott felt he put on himself, um, and how he wishes it had been more of a fun time and some of the lessons he learned there. We also talk about a powerful lesson in challenging your assumptions 
and how a super simple idea that an advisor gave them turned out to be an incredibly powerful way to to acquire customers. And, and this was something that the team had just assumed wasn't going to work. Uh, we also talk about why you should stop paying attention to what others are achieving and focus more of your time and energy on solving the right problems for your customers. Uh, and we also talk about how easy it is as an entrepreneur to feel stressed all the time and why it's important to find balance in your life so you enjoy the journey and not just the destination. And finally, uh, we, we also cover what the difference is between good quality content and great content. And we'll share an example of a, a, a site which outside of the tech industry, which actually is a great example and is doing some amazing, uh, creating some amazing content. So you definitely want to check that out too. 